0: give Matt a warm welcome as he comes to speak to us and um, uh, Matt thanks so much for coming to be with us this evening Um, you're going to share a bit of your story and what you get up to um, as you speak to us but if people are sitting in the pews scratching their heads thinking I recognise that guy Mm. uh, why is that?
1: yeah uh, when was it a short while ago I came to the weekend away that the evening service did the sixth weekend was it called?
0: hands up who was there?
1: Okay. Yeah, <laughs> lots of people. So were some of that. you might have.
0: And you were in the church congregation for some time?
1: For a couple of years, yeah. Not many of you will maybe have overlapped with me then. When we were kicked out of Pakistan in 2011, we sort of ended up in Clapham by accident um, and then got drawn into St. Mark's. bit of a change. <laughs> yeah, Pakistan to Clapham. Um, but yeah, so we started coming here for a couple of years, around 2012, 2013.
0: Who dragged you along?
1: My younger brother, Nick Stott. You might see a family resemblance. He was on staff here for quite a few years.
0: Great. Well, it's wonderful to have you with us, Matt. Let me pray for you as you you. uh, come to share God's word with us. Lord, we thank you so much for Matt's uh, amazing commitment to bringing the message of the good news of Jesus um, to uh, various different parts of the world, Pakistan, Clapham, High Wycombe. Uh, Lord, thank you for his experience and for his faithfulness. And we pray that as he shares with us now that you would touch each of our hearts by your Holy Spirit, stir in us something of the same enthusiasm and same passion for the name of Jesus and for the furtherance of his gospel, in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.
1: Thank you. Yeah, it's really good to be here and be with you again, despite everything going on outside of these four walls. <laughs> I'm a big sports fan, but I'm going to resist looking at my phone as my self-control. Deck. So we're going to uh, look at the passage that was read out by Charlie there, um, Acts twenty seventeen onwards, and sort of calling it the, the marks of a missionary Let me just kind of define missionary a bit because the video that we made there that you saw, which was a trip to Bangladesh I took last year um, with a bunch of church leaders to sort of show them the Muslim world, Um, there is a sense in which a missionary is someone set apart, called, sent off to different cultures, To live in, you know, where the gospel perhaps has never gone before. And that's sort of the classical understanding of missionary. I mean, missionary just means sent from the Latin, really. Apostle is the same thing in Greek, really, sent out. So there's one sense in which some people are set apart to, to do a kind of work of ministry for the Lord. But there is another sense, just to, you know, let you know from the front, very much in a sense, we're all missionaries, aren't we? If we follow Jesus and we love Jesus, he said, as the Father sends me, sent me so I send you he said that to his disciples and, and that carries on throughout the Acts of the Apostles we see that all God's people were called to sort of what they receive they give what they receive they give verbally and, and so on serving the poor loving people and sharing the gospel so there's a sense in which all of you guys here are missionaries Martin Goldsmith a kind of missions preacher used to always say are there any missionaries here see so one or two put up their hands and he'd keep asking until the whole congregation had their hands up okay we get your point um, so, everything I share today about kind of the marks of the missionary, there's a lot that I think will, will impact your life, and so yeah, that's very true for any Christian, actually, anyone who wants to follow Jesus. So bear that in mind as, as we go through. Uh, quick intro to me, that's where I spent most of my uh, 30s, in Pakistan. Uh, the mountains of Pakistan, a bit bit different to the plains where I did my language learning for a few years. But up there in the mountains, Gilgit was the town I lived in near the Chinese border. So it's kind of Central Asia in, in some ways up there. My favorite bridge, that one. I love showing people my favorite road. It's just a chance that some of you are thinking, I want to go there. I want to travel that road. No? Anyone? <laughs> and uh, some of my students, so I was an English teacher at the university. Most frontiers workers at the mission agency I went with and now I work for in the UK. Most of us have to work sec- you know, in sort of secular jobs or, or get jobs to go and work in the Muslim world because they don't usually give out missionary visas. So I was an English teacher at a university and those are some of my students. Just want to show you this briefly because Pakistan is a fascinating place and it's just one example of the crazy experiences I had being taken along to this religious festival where they're all cutting their backs with knives on the end of chains. Even little boys around six, seven years old were doing it. Um, And this is just part of the Shia Islam faith in Ashura, one part of their calendar where they mourn the death of their, kind of their leader, Hussein, the grandson of Prophet Muhammad. And they sort of beat themselves up to show their devotion to God and kind of to please him. And maybe earn some more religious merit to kind of push their way towards heaven. Um, yeah, so many interesting things in Pakistan. I'll skip over that one. Just some, you know, remind me I was young once. Then I met my wife who was working with Frontiers in Indonesia on a church planting team as well. Uh, so she was in a sort of post tsunami area of Aceh in um, Oh, I don't know the geography that well, but uh, so she was there for a year and a half when we met, and then she very bravely chose to, one, marry me, two, move to Pakistan with me. I'm not sure which is tougher, actually. And uh, so she's from California. We met in Thailand. We got married in Malaysia. Usual story on the mission field. And now we ended up in High Wycombe. So having been kicked out, expelled from Pakistan in 2011, after we'd taken our first child out there, our our baby girl, uh, we were kicked out about a year later and after wrestling with that in Clapham for a year or two and tooting we felt the Lord release us from our our work in Pakistan and and call us to go and work with frontiers in in mobilization and and training and recruiting people for the nation so that's kind of my job now trying to find crazy people like you who might want to do something even crazier Um, so that's what we do but also there are 30,000 Pakistani Muslims in High Wycombe and so we're doing quite a lot with them Um, They're not just Pakistanis, actually. They're now more and more Syrians and Iranians and a few Bangladeshis as well. So, yeah, we love working amongst Muslims here, wherever we are in the world. That's who we are and our story. So back to the text. When you think of missionary, I don't know what you think. I mean, that video, obviously, we created was designed to challenge your thinking about what is mission, who is a missionary, what is mission all about. And I don't know. I think... A lot of us sometimes think a missionary is more John the Baptist than Jesus. Bit quirky, bit out there, living in weird places like deserts, living really poor and rough, eating weird food. Ask me later, what's the weirdest food I've been served up? It's not very pleasant to mention from the front. Um, But, you know, some people think a missionary is a bit awkward, bit socially awkward back in their own culture. Um, Lots of stereotypes, I think, that we often have. Or sometimes they elevate us up to this weird super spiritual position like oh wow they're you know missionary is always like hearing from God and following God's call amazing evangelists bringing people to the Lord all these stereotypes that are mm, yeah sometimes true but quite often they're not true we're just very ordinary people actually now sometimes the slides we show and the talks we give we're talking about all the crazy things that happen all the amazing experiences we had and it's understandable that you'd think the missionary life is a bit wacky um but of course, the book of Acts that you've been looking through is a bit like that too. You look at the life of the Apostle Paul, you know, you see all his highs, you see all his lows, you see his suffering, you see him being stoned and shipwrecked, and you see him preaching the gospel, people coming to faith, the Holy Spirit coming on people. So, but of course, I'm sure a lot of Paul's life was ordinary too. He spent three years in Ephesus, and we get a couple of passages in Scripture about what happened. What happened? in Ephesus so we get highlights lowlights but most of the time he was making tents sharing the gospel regularly with people probably not seeing a lot happen for a long long time and then suddenly breakthrough happened and people came to the Lord and so on or just the hard work of mentoring and discipling people but anyway this morning we uh, this morning this evening we're gonna have a look now at this passage and just see some of the heart of what it means to be a missionary not just the, the crazy stories my first point is sort of cultural awareness. So he he sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. Now, it seems like an innocuous, innocent little phrase. He, but why didn't Paul go to Ephesus himself? He'd planted these churches he'd have probably appointed the elders of this church. why didn't he go visit them? Well, he was in a bit of a hurry. He was trying to get to Jerusalem in time for the Feast of Pentecost, and he knew that if he visited Ephesus, he would get stuck and If you know anything about Middle Eastern or Asian cultures, they're incredibly hospitable, but to a fault, I mean they I had friends who would lie to their family members in Pakistan that they were anywhere near them, you know, visiting their relatives because they didn't want to be hosted and have to stay with them and have to visit every family member. Even British Pakistanis, when they go home to Pakistan, they get stuck in that village for weeks and weeks. They can't travel, see any of the nice bits of Pakistan quite often because family is all important and honor and shame and all that stuff. So here probably Paul was just trying to stay by the port, call the elders to come and see him so he could give them their sort of final instructions, have their goodbyes. Um, so that's probably what's going on here. And my, my point is, when you're sharing the good news with other people, you've got to be aware of the culture of the person you're talking to. And I hope that you don't just spend time with people just like you, who are exactly your kind of cultural background. But certainly, one of the key marks of a, of a missionary or cross-cultural worker is, is learning the culture. I spent three years down country in Lahore, the big city of Lahore, not only learning Urdu, the national language of Pakistan, but learning culture, trying to understand what it meant. What do Muslims think of when they hear the word Christian? Is that the right word to use, talking to them? Um, what does it mean for them to yeah, follow Jesus? Who is? What's the difference between Yesu and Isa in, the, in their language? Both names for Jesus, but one that only Christians use, one that Muslims use. Trying to learn their culture is so important if you're going to communicate good news to them. So... Yeah, culture, I could talk about culture all day, but yeah, the main main thing is, you know, be, be careful how you communicate. Now, for you, you might think, well, I don't know, do I have a lot of cross-cultural relationships and engagements? Maybe, I hope so. Maybe by the end of this talk, you'll say, yeah, I should have some more of these. But even if you're like a street pastor and you're going out in the streets, or you, God might give you a vision to help, you know, some of these folk involved in gangs in London or something, or people who, who maybe are in a very different situation or upbringing or education from you working with youth, even in this church, you might think, I do not understand where these young folks are at. They're even 10 years younger than me. You might think that's a massive jump now in their culture, their worldview. Well, you've got to learn that if you're going to effectively communicate Jesus to them. You've got to sort of learn where they're at. So that's my sort of first point. Second key mark of a a cross-cultural worker missionary is residence. Paul says, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. He spent three years in Ephesus. This is a guy who traveled a lot around the Middle East and Asia sharing the gospel. But for some reason, he stayed in Ephesus. And you see by the end of the passage where they're all hugging and saying goodbye to him and weeping, the depth of relationship that he had with these folks in Ephesus, modern-day Turkey. You know, one project I've been involved with this year is a kind of uh, Internet project so a couple of workers young british guys husband and wife went off to jordan in in middle east and they worked on this fantastic website produced everything in arabic after spending a few years in the country they learned arabic they found locals who could help them they produced this amazing website that has eight videos where four muslim guys in these cartoon videos online are talking about jesus together and it soon becomes clear by episode two maybe three, that one of them is a believer in Jesus, a secret believer in Jesus. And he's just gradually trying to get his friends thinking and interested and challenging them. It's a brilliant little video series online, and it's been so effective in the Arab world. So many thousands of people, thousands of hits, thousands of write-ins from Algeria, from across the Middle East, saying, we want to know more. We want to know more this gospel that you're talking about, this forgiveness that Prophet Isa um, offers you. So successful is that they want to put it into other languages. So they're getting it translated into Turkish and Urdu, Pakistani language, and so on and so on. So I've been luckily luckily, um, able to be involved a little bit in this, doing some of the editing. But you know what? Even if we had thousands and thousands, millions of people across Pakistan, a country of 180 million Muslims, by the way, even if we got thousands and millions of hits and people writing into the website saying we want to know more about Jesus... Are they ever going to be effectively discipled without meeting a real believer, without having people on the ground that they can go and talk to you face-to-face? I don't think so. You know, whatever social media stuff we can do, and it is a modern way of doing mission in some circles, you still got to have people on the ground, whether locals or internationals, maybe Filipino Christians, Korean Christians, Latino Christians, whoever, but you've got to have boots on the ground. And so residence is super, super important. Now, what about for you guys? Well, I think just a small challenge for you. In Again, in this world that we live in now, it's so easy not to be present, but to kind of be present, but not be present. You know what I mean? I, I find it hard. I've got three kids at home. It's very easy to, to just be half there and not really with them. And it's the same, but you know, I praise God you guys are here tonight because you clearly know the value of community, of real people face-to-face. Whatever my Facebook profile shows, however many hundreds of friends I might have on Facebook, it's not the same as face-to-face, doing life with people. For the cross-cultural worker, that might mean spending hours having cups of tea with Taliban types in western Pakistan or eastern Afghanistan. Spending hours just talking, slowing down. We're so in the West... We're so project-driven, ticket-driven, done a job, done a job, done a job, done so much today, yes, 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 started an NGO, run a business, fed the hungry, boom, 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 yes, thank you, write the newsletter, done. Actually, real gospel work means you've got to sit down, slow down, engage, talk, listen to people, heart-to-heart, share, be emotional. And, and that's what we see in this passage, isn't it? Paul, despite being an amazing strategist and missionary and preacher and an action man, he was also deeply relational and emotional with these guys, wasn't he? And I think that's a wonderful challenge to me as an individualistic kind of Westerner. So that's, that's cultural awareness and then residency. Thirdly, I'm only going to 10, don't panic. Earlier in this chapter, Paul preaches all through the night, and one guy falls asleep On the windowsill, you might remember Eutychus, he falls out the window because he falls asleep during Paul's sermon. He's just going on for hour and hour. Um, Read the rest of the story later, but I promise you, I'm not going to do that. So third, humility. Paul says, and and he can only say this because he lived with them for three years. You know, he said, I served the Lord with great humility amongst you. That's a big challenge for us, isn't it? He was clearly a very strong character. He was a zealot even before he started following Jesus. But somehow he learned to be like Jesus, to be humble, despite being very influential and a powerful leader. I'm sure this will come up in the Global Leadership Su- Summit. How to be a strong leader but be humble. Big challenge. And those, those of us who've gone overseas and tried to learn a new language, we are massively humbled, even humiliated, I would say, in our first year or so where you're struggling you know, to get anything out more than a sort of five-year-old can speak. But as you grow in confidence... As a, you know, in a culture and in, in another country, you, you can feel a bit like, I've got this sorted, got it down. I love this country now and I'm, I'm cruising and my language is good. I'm, I'm able to share the gospel. But whatever your field of work, your business, your ministry, your worship leading, your whatever you do, you can start to get confident and trust yourself. Think, yeah, I got this. And pride can creep in really quickly. You know, we've had friends who have got divorced in the last few years. Solid Christian friends and some Muslim friends. Really hard to watch these fantastic couples, people we love, breaking up. Absolute devastation for them, for their kids. And to walk through that with people quite closely is is heartbreaking to see. But do I just think, gosh, I really need to teach you guys about marriage. No. There but for the grace of God go I and my wife. We've got to be careful. We've got to guard ourselves. We've got to be humble and watch ourselves. So, yeah, and especially the, the, the cross-cultural worker. Lots of challenges. We've got to stay humble. And especially we don't want to have an arrogant Western mindset where we've got it sorted in the West. Let's teach you how to do it. No way, you know. Okay, where we got you? Sorry. Let's go to number four, are we? Number four, trials. Yeah, you got it right, and I'm just catching up. So, he says, in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. So, Paul was under pressure even from his own community, let alone the people he was trying to reach. Prison and hardships are awaiting me. That's all he knew about his next stage, that prison and hardships were awaiting him in in Jerusalem. But that's what he expected. I remember shedding quite a few tears before I headed off to Pakistan, just going into the unknown. All I knew is, this is going to be tough. The day I arrived, there was a massive terrorist attack on the international church in Islamabad. Two of my team members were in the church, grenades were rolled down. That was day one of my moving to Pakistan. And you think, yeah, okay, I knew this was going to be tough. Certainly got my church praying for me, and so on. And actually that led to six months, month after month of attacks on foreigners. You know, yes, there's a sense in which the cross-cultural worker going overseas is prepared for some of this. Some of the extreme things um, that our workers go through. Yeah, terrorist attacks, sectarian violence, earthquakes, maybe kidnapping. But more commonly, think about your mission partners, even at St. Paul's, Price's, whoever else is working overseas. More commonly, it's the daily challenges of just being away from home. Grandparents, maybe, for your kids. Enduring the hot climates, maybe. Struggling with language learning. Team conflict. That's a big one. And sometimes, of course, it's just. No, no obvious fruit after years of ministering. And that can be hard. It can be tiring. So there are definitely trials. Next, next point is uh, inclusivity and exclusivity. And this might sound a, a little bit strange, but I'll explain it in a second. Paul says, I have declared to both Jews and Gentiles or and Greeks that they must return to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is utterly inclusive and utterly exclusive. Everyone agree? Does that sound a bit weird? It's utterly inclusive in the sense that it's for everyone. Not just for Clapham, not just for British people. Yeah, this is the gospel for the nations. There were only two categories, Jews or Gentiles, in Paul's day. And he was very clear, this is the gospel for the Jews and the Gentiles. But it's exclusive in the sense that there's only one way to, to grab this good news, to find the forgiveness that we've got. You know, those of us who know the Lord here, we've been forgiven from all our guilt and our shame. We've been made clean, washed, purified. We know we're going to heaven. No Muslim can ever say that. We know because it's not dependent on us. Every, every Muslim is trying, trying to be more religious, trying to pray more, trying to be nicer, trying to be good, and hopefully, inshallah, I'll get to heaven. One of my Muslim friends I played football with on Monday last week. He told me his grandma had died. I said, I'm so sorry, man. I said, how how are you guys doing with that? He said, well, yeah, she was really close to me. She brought me up when I was young. But she died on a Friday, so we're really hopeful that Allah will forgive her because Friday is kind of their holy day. Uh, And he said, "And, and of course, we'll go to her grave regularly and we'll pray for her. There's no hope. There's no assurance. There's this vague, maybe Allah will forgive, maybe he won't. That's it. Basically, depending on how good you are, how religious you've been. But the gospel is good news. And it's laid out, though, that we have to repent. We've got to turn to God and believe in Jesus. He's offering it to everyone, every tribe and tongue. But we've got to go through Jesus. It doesn't matter if you're a Muslim, Christian, Jew, whatever. God wants all people to come to him. But it's got to be through Jesus. That's the exclusivity. Six, transition. One of the things about being a cross-cultural worker, I've mentioned us being kicked out of Pakistan, but there's so much loss and change. Paul, we see in this passage, he, he was moving on. Now, this, he felt compelled by the spirit to move on. He wasn't kicked out, visa canceled like we were, but there's so much transition and change when you're a cross-cultural worker, and you never quite know what's happening, how long your visa will last these days and yeah it's tough and there are tears and so on and um yeah it's very important for the cross-cultural worker or missionary to be resilient and to also to trust the sovereignty of God when we were kicked out we could have been really angry with the Pakistani government or authorities for kicking us out because of some kind of international affairs business a CIA guy who went rogue in Islam in Lahore and shot dead a couple of people that's probably why we were kicked out But we can't just get angry with them. We can't just blame it all on Satan trying to disrupt gospel work. You know, this is God's sovereignty. Somehow he's at work. And we've got to have a strong theology of God's sovereignty, but also of suffering. Now, you guys will go through transitions too. Different kinds, perhaps. But there'll be loss. There'll be change. There'll be tears. Some of you will have lost parents, perhaps. Or children, maybe. I remember... Coming to my nephew's funeral here in this church a few years ago. He was stillborn a few weeks before, before being born, and my younger brother who, who worked here, some of you know. And his little coffin was right here on the step. Oh, gosh, those transitions are so painful, and you don't know all the answers. Where's your faith going to be when you go through the dark place and the wrestling and the questions? As people of God, we've got to have a strong theology of suffering. The Bible's totally honest with us God is good but life sucks sometimes, as my wife would say from California. Yeah, we've got, to, we've got to be okay with that. And we've got to be resilient and work that through in our minds. Disappointments will come. And missionaries are no different to anyone else that's here. We have disappointments. We have questions. We don't understand. The people group I was working with In the mountains in North Pakistan, they speak the Shinar language, one of the people groups up there. So having I was just about to start to learn the Shinar language, having learned Urdu for three years, the national language. Now the lady that understood the Shinar language, the only Christian lady in the world that knew that language fully, was this Wycliffe Bible translator lady who would come and go to Pakistan. And the same year we were kicked out, she died in a car crash in America. Of all the dangerous roads she traveled in in Pakistan... And you think, Lord, what is that about? Why would this wonderful lady, this servant of yours, for years, pouring out her life so this people group of only 600,000 people could have the Bible in their own language and before it's even completed, she dies in a car crash. What? That makes no sense. But God is good. And God is sovereign. Transitions. Loss and change. Risk and perseverance, I'm going to just push through that a little bit because time is short. But the key thing is we've got to persevere. And Paul did that. Paul went through so many sufferings. And yet we see. He says, I consider my life worth, worth nothing. It's not about me and my comfort. Me accumulating honor or glory or fame or riches or comfort and security. And whatever we think the goal of life is. In the West, you'd be forgiven for thinking it's all about the economy. Every political decision is about the economy, will it? You know, every Brexit decision, well, will the economy grow or shrink or this or that? There's more to life than the economy, guys. What's your legacy? What are you going to leave behind? What's the purpose of your life, each, each one of you here? What do you want to leave behind? Are you going to persevere in faith and, and things that are, have a massive importance in life? Paul didn't shirk the battle, even when people were against him. And we mustn't either, as people of God. There's a battle in our secular age here, isn't there, as to what's right and what's wrong nowadays. We don't call the shots anymore in this country as Christians, do we? The morality of today is controlled by others. We're not the Pharisees anymore. It's other people saying, do this, don't that, believe this, otherwise you're a bigot. Believe what we say or we're going to really go for you. And the people of God are tempted to just keep really quiet. And Sometimes there's a re- good reason to keep quiet and, and so on. But There's a time to speak up for truth as well. So yeah, risk and perseverance. Succession. um, This is the bit in the passage we read where Paul says, Keep watch over yourselves, guard yourselves, and the flock of which the Holy Spirit made you overseers. And be on your guard. Wolves are going to come into the flock with false teaching to disrupt and distort the truth of God. Now, if truth is just truth for me, truth for you, then how can anyone distort the truth? They can't, but there is truth. And so we have to guard what is true and fight for that. That's a battle too, a mental battle. And also he thinks about what will happen after he goes. And Paul has appointed elders. So, you know, for us as, as mission workers, we want to think about the depth, what's going to be left behind. We don't want to just go, people start following Jesus, and then we, go, we leave and it all falls apart. We need to appoint elders. And what about you? You know, what are you leaving behind? That's, that's part of what I was just saying. Two more. Cross-cultural workers have to have a little bit of a disdain for wealth. Paul says, I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. Now, one of the stereotypes I mentioned earlier is that all missionaries are poor. Not necessarily. A lot of our Muslim world workers are working in rich countries and and driving SUVs around Saudi Arabia or United Arab Emirates because they're living and working in top businesses, but they're serving lord out there so not everyone malaysia too not everyone lives very very poor when they're mission folks but i'd say pretty much anyone who's gone overseas as a gospel worker has put success and wealth on the altar and they're probably not going to advance in any career very well if they're putting that all on the altar and heading out overseas and we need to be careful too don't we in a in a culture saturated with money we've got to be careful to not covet and finally And this is the key thing, and this is what hopefully you you, you saw very clearly in the video too, compassion. We see Paul saying we must help the weak, and it's more blessed to give than receive, taking the words of Jesus. The ultimate mark of a missionary and the heart of mission is this. It's compassion, like in the video mentioned again and again, compassion, generosity, sacrifice and love. It's love for people and it's love for others. So Paul may have been an amazing miracle worker and so on and, and seeing the, the sick healed and preaching the gospel and people coming, getting saved. But it was all out of this compassion for people. And you see how much he loved the churches he planted and the people here as they wept and wept. By the way, guys, it's not wrong to cry. British culture. We're not big into emotion and emotional expression, are we? Not compared to my wife in California anyway. But it's okay. It's okay to be vulnerable it's okay to cry when things are just devastating Jesus cried at the death of his friend didn't he even before raising him from the dead and Paul here weeps and weeps knowing he's probably never going to see these guys again it's okay guys to be to let your emotions out sometimes okay let's, um, let's stand I'm going to close there and just, just pray for us and then we're going to have a little bit of Q&A and something with the prices and myself Father God thank you that we have good news Lord we have not earned anything ourselves but you've set us free from sin and guilt darkness, shame you've given us freedom and truth and forgiveness Lord we're so grateful to be known by the living God so grateful Father so grateful to call you Father not just to have a religious system around us but to know you as the one true God and our Father to come into relationship. Father, encourage us today by your Spirit. Help us to be confident in the gospel of what you've given us. Help us to share it with boldness, but with deep love and compassion and sensitivity for people. That's a hard balance, Lord. Most of us go too far one way or the other. Well, help us be more like Jesus and, and fill us with your spirit day to day as we interact with our neighbors and colleagues and, and people on the streets of London here. And Lord, I pray you bless this church too as they send people out across the nations. Lord, may there be more of those. Father, raise up laborers here for the harvest fields that are white, for the two billion that have never had the gospel. Thank you for your word, Lord, that encourages us. In Jesus' name, Amen.